Welcome to The Great Awakening. I'm your host, Josh Dawes. My guest today is Brandon Showalter. He is a journalist for the Christian Post, where he's done a lot of excellent work reporting on the trans movement and a lot of the issues surrounding trans ideology from the various organizations that are pushing that into schools, uh, targeting children with it, to uh, the medical establishments that are performing just the most gruesome procedures on uh, trans-identifying individuals. Uh, It's really horrific, gruesome stuff, um, but I think, you know, I I wanted to have Brandon on to really help give kind of a human face to the culture war. I think a lot of times we engage in these battles and we can kind of take a pleasure in owning the libs and we kind of forget uh, the very real stakes to the culture war, that there are uh, people, there are children that are being targeted by these evil ideologies. And uh, as Christians, we, you know, it's not just um, an optional thing that, you know, it can be uh, fun to engage in on the side if you're so inclined, but we have a real duty to uh, speak up for the vulnerable, to, um, you know, try and uh, rescue as many kids as we can from this, uh, this ideology that is just harming so many. And so Brandon's doing great work exposing that, bringing those, uh, those works of darkness into the light. Uh, and, you know, as um, just a fair warning on this episode, it, uh, he, uh, Brandon, uh, gets a little uh, graphic with his de- descriptions of um, some of these surgical procedures that are done on uh, these individuals. So just a fair warning, this might not be an episode you want to listen to with your kids, but I think it is really important for us to kind of have our eyes open and, and, and see the, the uh, wickedness for what it is so that we can um, act with urgency on behalf of those that are being targeted by this ideology. So I think it's a great conversation. You're really going to enjoy it. But um, before we jump into that, uh, I would like to welcome a new sponsor to the show. The Ezra Institute is a great Christian organization that seeks to equip Christians to uh, engage the culture from a strong biblical worldview. And they have a great event for students coming up this summer. Uh, It is the Worldview Youth Academy. Uh, It's for students 14 to 18 years old. And uh, it's taking place July 12th through the 18th in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. It is a great event um, that will help equip them with a strong Christian foundation and empower them to be cultural leaders. It is uh, age-specific content that is designed to address the serious and practical questions young adults are asking. I think uh, it's going to be a great event. I, you know, it's so important um, to really help prepare your kids. Uh, don't you know, just you know, bury your heads and and hope that uh, they turn out all right. We really need to be uh, equipping our kids for the challenges they're going to be facing as they go out into the world. And so this uh, the Ezra Institute has put together put together a great academy that will help um, help do that, uh, help equip your kids for that. So go to EzraInstitute.com. If you register now, you can get the early bird price of $50 off. Again, that's EzraInstitute.com. And be sure to tell them that you heard about this on The Great Awakening. All right. So with that, let's jump right into my conversation with Brandon. Thanks for joining me, Brandon. Thank you, Josh. It's good to be here. Well, I've uh, I've um, wanted to have you on. Uh, you've you've done a lot of work uh, reporting on uh, the trans ideology and and that whole movement. And 
particularly a lot of um, a lot of work uh, kind of you know talking about the the detransitioners, people who have have made you know life altering decisions uh, and and have uh, reg- you know immense regrets, and not only that, but you know tons of phys- physical complications that are irreversible. Um, and and so often, I think we have. You know, we we can get lost in talking about the culture war and it becomes just kind of like, you know, political issues that, you know, we, we forget that there's real people behind this. And uh, you recently had uh, a thread on Twitter that um, just really was kind of a, a gut punch uh, detailing a, a real story of someone you talked to. And so I wanted to have you on to just kind of help us put a face to uh, these culture war issues that. Uh, and just help us, you know, understand how these things are affecting real people. Yeah. Well, I have been on this beat reporting on these issues for over seven years now at the Christian Post. It has not been the only issue uh, that I've focused my journalistic work on. I've reported on other things, but I started falling down the rabbit hole of this harrowing subject soon after I got started in 2016. And I learned about the experimental medicalization that was being carried out in children's hospitals and in clinics nationwide on struggling young people, uh, some of them minors, some of them young adults. And I really started to report on it critically. The Christian Post did an article series that explored the issue at length in early 2017. And I started to hear from the families. And I started to hear from those who lived to regret undergoing blockers, hormones, surgery, that kind of thing. The thread that you mentioned the other day was someone that I had met a few years ago, but recently re-interviewed him again for an upcoming project. Um, The Christian Post, uh, I was, I I produced a multi-part investigative documentary style podcast series called Generation Indoctrination Inside the Transgender Battle. And we're coming up on season three. That's currently, we're in production right now. We're working on it. And so I reached back out to him to tell for him to, to tell his story on an episode that we will be doing specifically on detransitioners, their lawyers, and others who are advocating for them. And this poor young man, who don't want to give too much away, is out in the state of Oregon, was lured into an orchiectomy, which is a trans bottom surgery, as they are called, euphemistically. And uh, it's just a very typical story, uh, especially in the West Coast. It's all the hospitals and the medical systems ideologically captured by this horrific gender dogma, and uh, with no exploration of his underlying mental health issues, he underwent a surgery. But worst of all, and this is probably what stuck out to you, it was a progressive church, a congregation that helped facilitate and contribute to his confusion. And don't want to give too much away because I hope people can listen to the series when it comes out in a few weeks, but he was basically how it was when he was undergoing the transition and identified himself as a female he would be lavished with you're so brave kind of praise. But then when things took a turn for the worst, and of course, these drugs and surgeries don't actually help anything. In fact, they only damage the body further. All of a sudden, he was persona non grata. They went dark and even kind of made cruel and nasty, cutting, you know, manipulative, nasty, snide comments behind his back. And they just, it, it blew up their progressive narrative. And so all of a sudden, these people who were so supportive now don't know what to say to him. Uh, and it was a Pentecostal pastor that he had met that told him the truth, but was also patient and very caring and loving and compassionate with him as he 
was navigating his confusion and he now is walking with the Lord. And so there is a redemptive story, but oh, what needless suffering. And so that mm. thread, that 13 tweet thread that you referenced was just kind of, <laughs> as I'm mulling over this issue, reviewing transcripts to prepare for this podcast series, it just really gets my goat when I see churches uh, participate in what I believe is a modern form of human sacrifice and horrific child abuse. Even though this guy was an adult when this happened, this is one of the worst medical scandals of all time, and to see people appropriate God and Jesus and the church into it just really gets me hot under the collar. Yeah, yeah, I definitely want to come back to that the church's role in that. Um, but you know, we we I, I feel like with a lot of these issues, we can sanitize it um, by euphemistically calling it bottom surgery, and now uh, you know viewer discretion advised. Um, yeah. Can you tell what that actually is? Yeah. Well, there are a number of different quote unquote bottom surgeries. Uh, the main one that is performed on males, and I have seen in medical journals that these have been done on boys as young as 15, is called a vaginoplasty. Uh, and it's phalloplasty for females. But for vaginoplasties, what they do is uh, they try to make a fake vagina in a boy's crotch and they amputate the penis they sometimes cut it in two they sever it in two and they try to invert it to make it look as though it's a female sex organ and if there's not enough tissue say if the, the young person has been on blockers and hormones his genitals his secondary sex characteristics have never developed enough so they will use part of the peritoneum uh, abdominal lining or some part of his bowels in order to make a fake vagina to make it look like the the actual thing and of course you know our sex organs are hooked up to our endocrine systems and so it doesn't function as a normal female sex organ would given the hormones in a female body and that kind of thing and so oftentimes what happens is because it's used portion of the bowel it sometimes carries fecal bacteria and smells terrible you know it rots because of necrosis and in fact, one such surgery actually went viral online several months ago when Elon Musk saw it because it was a it was a linchpin Dutch study that was a bunch of this boy was 18 where they did this surgery on it. And this was this was in the medical journals that was sort of used to justify these surgeries on younger people. This was the linchpin study. And there were actually pictures of this boy's disfigured anatomy and it went wrong and he died sepsis caused his organs to fail um, problems arose within 24 hours of the surgery um, and all the infections spread throughout his body and there were pictures of his mutilated genitalia and so people got a very rude awakening but that was done back in 2016 and the dutch medical report managed to resurface i think some very determined people on twitter caused that dug that up and spread it around and elon musk was horrified and so that's that's why it got such widespread attention but these disfiguring surgeries are very gruesome. For females, there's, there are other, I think there's also the metidioplasty, but the phalloplasty is where they harvest, where sur surgeons harvest a portion of the forearm or thigh to make a fake penis. Then they sew it on to her crotch area. Um, and it's, they're, they're <laughs> it's, I think it's probably, of all of the surgeries, it's probably one of the worst. Um, people have a grid for hysterectomies or mastectomies because sometimes 
women might actually need those surgeries if they have breast cancer or something wrong with their uterus. Now, I still think mastectomies and hysterectomies are unethical when they're done for transgender purposes because they're completely healthy organs. You don't, mm-hmm. it violates every single standard of medical ethics. But the phalloplasties are just Frankenstein. They, they literally harvest a portion of forearm flesh and roll it up into a tube. And then they, I mean, it doesn't fix the body. And so, I mean, I know of, I know of a young, uh, a young woman, her mother, and I is, she's also going to be featured in my upcoming podcast series where she's got another surgery coming up where I think they're going to cut the fake organ in half and reroute her urethra because of all of the complications that these things cause. Um, the general public woke up to the horror of these surgeries because they saw Scott Nugent pull down her sleeve during Matt Walsh's famous documentary, What is a Woman? But I, I've known about that stuff for years. And finally, people seem to be um, waking up to the fact that these are, and I am hesitant to use this analogy because it's the it's a rule against ever comparing anything to Nazis, but Jewish readers tell me this looks like Dr. Mengele, and I agree. Experiments on vulnerable young people, uh, children and adults, uh, cutting perfectly healthy tissue off and then slapping it onto other parts of the body. And it's truly Frankenstein. Hmm. Do we have any sort of accurate data on how many of these surgeries are performed per year? It's exploding. Uh, data has been come hard to come by, but uh, very recently, the Journal of American Medical Association, JAMA, JAMA Network Open a couple months ago, reported that in the last several years, I think they had tripled on young people. And I crunched the numbers. And from, I think it was approximately over 1,200 per year on ages 18 and younger. So if you divide 1,200, by 261, which is annual business days, that means 4.6 people, 18 and younger, minors and 18-year-olds, are being surgically disfigured in pursuit of a lie every single weekday in this country. Hmm. That doesn't count, I guess, 19 through 25, which is a big demographic. A lot of college-age girls are getting their breasts cut off. The American Society of Plastic Surgeons has been documenting this, and I think there was even a 15% increase in transgender surgeries in 2020, when a lot of medical facilities were locked down because of the COVID-19 pandemic. But there was an increase in that from from 2000. There was 15% more that happened on females, I believe, in 2020 than there were in 2019, and I think. It's either mastectomies or all gender surgeries, not quite sure. I would have to go back and look at the chart, but it was, you know, talking about dividing by 261 annual businesses again. I think it was 32.7 breast amputations per weekday in 2020, mm. that, to give you an idea of the scope. Uh, between 2016 and 2017, again, from the American Society of Plastic Surgeons, and this is also documented in Abigail Schreier's Watershed Book, Irreversible Damage. The number of gender surgeries on females quadrupled. Hmm. We're seeing a very high number, and it's starting to affect even people I know well. Uh, people like to think, and the mass media, the corporate press likes to make it out like this is just so rare. <laughs> not rare. Hmm. Not rare at all. A whole generation is being devoured um, hormonally and surgically, and certainly ideologically. Um, Planned Parenthood will pass out testosterone after a 30-minute telehealth call without even a diagnosis or psychiatric or psychological evaluation. Um, 
we have an entire generation of young people being experimented on in the most grotesque fashion. Hmm. What, what are the primary um, channels for this, the, the spread of this ideology? Where, where are kids getting the idea that they are a different sex? Schools are big. Social media. Schools and social media. Um, wherever there's Wi-Fi, this movement is after your kids. You think you're safe in rural Alabama or in Lubbock, Texas? No. You think your kids might be exposed to it if they live in the Bay Area or New York City? Yeah, they'll, they'll get more of it there, but this is everywhere. Sex ed curriculum, um, there's all sorts of insidious gender messages uh, in that where you would expect it. And sometimes some states and localities have opt-out clauses where parents can withdraw their kids from that kind of thing if they, they want. But then this other thing is gender is sometimes put into anti-bullying mm -hmm. lessons. And so you can't opt out of that. And I've seen examples of gender questions being started into math problems and social studies. And so the gender ideologues are completely dedicated to indoctrinating your kids however they can. One dad that I know who's fighting for his son um, calls it, the phrase he uses is covering all the exits. There's no way, there's nowhere you can, can go. You think you're going to be safe if you just withdraw your kids from public school or you move to a more conservative area or you, <laughs> I mean, they are everywhere. And so uh, that th those are the big ones. Um, this really does take off, especially among adolescent girls. The, the, at first, this first way, like I said, I've been on this beat for seven years. And so I've watched it change and modulate a little bit. But there was a 2018 study in PLOS One, the academic journal by Lisa Littman, the rapid onset gender dysphoria, the cohort, the primary demographic was teenage girls. This gender confusion would break out in friends groups and clusters, peer contagion, you know, cutting is spread this way, you know, other maladaptive coping mechanisms, you know, social contagions, peer contagion, internet fueled. Well, the same thing seemed to be happening with this. Well, now the numbers are, I've heard from other psychologists, evening out a little bit, and there are more and more young men being affected as well. But the contributing factors, you know, vary a little bit. What the factors that influence men are different from those, um, you know, the social contagion amongst girls, it doesn't spread quite in the same way, but it's a whole generation, men and women, boys and girls alike. Mm -hmm. Schools and social media are the big, big drivers of it. Now, when, when did this um, phenomenon really start to, to ramp up? Well, uh, a scholar, a uh, senior fellow think tank guy that I know says it's a phase change. Everybody's like, how'd this all happen so fast? And he compares it to liquid water becoming ice and people notice the change, but really it's been gestating within a lot of our institutions for many decades. The queer theorists and the humanities departments in our university uh, systems and all of this has been sort of operating and lurking stealthily behind the scenes. There was the Bill of Gender Rights in the late 90s with a bunch of transsexual, they were called, activists that put together this laundry list of things they wanted and nobody really blew it off. But with the collapse of faith in this country and with the ideological capture of all of the cultural institutions, we've seen this explosion. The flashpoint, I would probably say, if there was one, in 2016, in the last year of the Obama presidency, I remember then Attorney General Loretta Lynch was sort of instituting this in the Justice Department about 
bathroom use and that kind of thing. There were that on the policy level, I remember that being people were were just aghast, like, what in the world is even is this? But President Obama had had some trans activists, a lot, a lot of them that were helpful to him, even in getting him into office with their billions of dollars. Um, the money that was behind a lot of that, he sort of got the ball rolling in some ways. But 2015 and 16 um, seemed to be a real shift. I mean, as soon as Obergefell was, well, that ruling came down, everything immediately pivoted to transgender activism. And one year later, I become a journalist at the Christian Post, and I see how language is being twisted in the media. And then I learn about the medicalization, that they were even doing this to children. And I realized I had some work cut out for me <laughs> because I, it was like, it really was like falling down the rabbit hole because for me, I thought transgenderism was just transvestites at Mardi Gras in these kind of eccentric oddballs that live on the margins of society had no idea that this had become ideologically entrenched in the medical system and in the educational arena to the degree that it had. Mm -hmm. and, well, on the, as this has been, you know, ramping up and, and, and exploding, as you say, we've also begun to see a rise in detransitioners, people who have undergone these, these surgeries yeah. um, and have regrets. Can you talk about what the, what what that is like yeah it's been it's been good to see uh i mean the fact that people are willing to face the truth of what they either participated in or what was done to them uh the big the big case that i think started to get the world's attention was in the uk with kira bell who was transed chemically and hormonally at the tavistock clinic and then went on to have her breasts amputated and it was her testimony in the UK that ultimately led to uh, the health system doing an independent review. And that famous gender clinic, the Tavistock Clinic, was ordered to close this year. And it was, she kind of became the face of those who were transed as minors in the UK. But with the Tavistock closing down, the Tavistock Clinic has some storied histories of medical scandals. And so to see that symbolically is, is just big. Europe began backpedaling in light of some of the things that they were seeing, Sweden, Finland, France. I think I even saw the Italian Association of Psychologists not so long ago make a statement, and we were starting to see some walking back of this treatment protocol. But in the United States, it's been much harder harder going, um, but then we are, seeing, we are seeing some. The New York Post did some profiles of detransitioners in 2022, and this year it's just been more and more of them going to state legislatures to testify. and. And that takes a lot of courage. Not only are they admitting to themselves that this was all a lie, that these drugs and surgeries irreparably harmed my body, they're saying they're actually willing to go out and put their stick their necks out and urge state legislative bodies to say, no, don't even allow this. And there's a number of them that have been kind of famous, perhaps the most famous, Chloe Cole. She even testified in the National Congress in July about what was done to her. She was put on puberty blockers at 12 cross-sex hormones at 13, I believe, breasts amputated at 15, regretted it all at 16, and has kind of become the face of those who were trans as minors. And I have sympathy for anybody who underwent this experimental medicalization because I don't believe it's ethical at all. But I think the American public feels very differently when you see people altering a child's body because mm -hmm. children can't consent. And I think that takes people's breath away when they realize that okay, we know that the age of majority in a lot of states is 18 to consent to sex, but you're going to tell a child that they can 
give informed consent to the chemical foreclosure of their fertility and they can wind up sterile and they can cut their body parts off. Let's, let's back this train up, please. And so that's what we're starting to see. Um, but their stories are absolutely breathtaking, particularly when you realize the extent to which the machinery of the medical system and state entities, especially in blue states like California, are dead set against any opposition to transgender ideology. Families who oppose this are in a straitjacket. In fact, I know of a family right now where the daughter is, I think, living in another state, and it's functioning as though she is an orphan, has no parents, but all it really is is that she claims that she's trans, and the state law allows her to live separately, enrolled in another school, and I think the parents get to see her grades, but that's about it. The, the state is smashing families. That's, that's happening today in this country right now. Um, parents have lost custody. Children have wound up dead. I mean, the horror stories abound. We could talk for hours. Mm. But the, the state laws and the institutional um, capture of, the, of all of relevant entities that have tremendous sway over how you raise your family are now increasingly in favor of this insanity. Um, and in addition to the detransitioners who I really hear from, I've lost count, are families at the end of their rope, fractured, battle-scarred, at their utter wit's end because um, their children have been stolen by a cult and their bodies have been irreparably damaged and there's not a single area of life that this doesn't bring ruinous corruption and destruction. Yeah. Well, and, and like you said, it, it, there's not just a, let's just find a conservative enclave. I saw yeah. this week that, that the Biden administration is, is going to withhold school lunch funding oh. from schools that oh, yeah. refuse to go along with this. Yeah. It, it's just like everywhere is, is pushing this. There is no safe, you know, safe this place is, from it. This is the religion of the cultural social left, and they will force everyone to worship at its altar. Okay. And even well, and I know and I know left wingers that are opposed to it, but that's that's the ideology that rules the day. LGBTQ dogma is the American state religion. And yeah. most people just a lot of people still don't know that yet. Yeah. Well, <laughs> where uh, you report for the Christian Post, where right. has the church been in this? Where uh, is the church waking up? Is this something that we're responding <sighs> to? Well, <laughs> yeah. It really depends. You know, I do hear from, I, I've been speaking in churches and some ministries related groups in recent months. Uh, the church's response largely has really disappointed me. And I think there are several reasons. One, it isn't as present in some conservative areas where, you know, Christians tend to live. I mean, and so they're, some of it's just a lack of awareness, or the issue is so bizarre that they can't get their head around it, or it, it's not, or because it's not as bad in their district, they just don't see the threat of it. And so some of it is just ignorance, and I don't blame them for that. But what I am seeing, unfortunately, is just uh, a fear. There are there are pastors that just don't want to confront this for some reason, and I think part of it is hesitance because of how previous issues were handled in the LGBTQ arena. And so they are maybe rethinking how they approach it in a more compact. I don't, I don't really, I can't get inside the heads of every pastor. Um, but 
it's a sort of a combination of things that contribute to a lot of inaction when I'll tell you a lot of atheists and agnostics and non-religious people who call me are begging churches to speak up and be bold to the point where some of them say they are not even sure they believe in God, but they think they believe in demons mm. because of the evil that this has unleashed in their families. And they know, I said this in my, in my Twitter thread the other day, they know that woke church is a joke. That they don't, they don't like people, <laughs> they, they don't, they roll their eyes when they see churches with a rainbow flag draped across their altar or their doors. It's like, <laughs> yeah, like, like, like I, like I think that they, they know it's a sick joke. Mm-hmm. So they, they come calling to the Christian Post. So I am proud of my publication for being ahead of the curve on this one. I, as disappointed as I am in some churches, um, we, we are determined to plant our flag on this hill and not budge an inch because this is one of the worst medical scandals of all time. And it's a child abuse scourge. And we believe that if you distort and twist Genesis 127, which declares that we're made male and female in God's image, you've distorted the whole gospel. And so that isn't a secondary or a tertiary doctrinal matter for us. We, that's very primary. Mm-hmm. Um, the gospel will have no meaning if we manipulate the human body like this, because our faith is about the redemption of the body. And so we're standing strong on it. But I, I, the other thing, this is, this is, and this is, I'm, I'm being kind of hard on pastors for not getting it or not confronting it, but gender ideology, and I write this in my, an ebook that I authored called Exposing the Gender Lie, free download on ChristianPost.com. The confusion is a feature, not a bug, of this dogma. A lot of people are legitimately confused because it is confusing, and it's crazy-making. What people say the word gaslighting is overused these days, but really what could, what could be more crazy-making than telling you that a man is really a woman, and that words have always had the opposite meaning than what they've always had? That alone is enough to drive you bonkers. I mean, that you're overtaking our very means of communication in order to institute a lie that human beings can change sex. So it takes a while to realize that it is as bad as we are saying and probably worse. Um, but I think once your eyes are open to it and you, ha- you don't have any excuse anymore, uh, courage is the only option because it's devastating what's happening to so many people. Yeah. yeah. For me, that you know, it's always been, I feel like the church has always maybe responded to some some mistreatment of um you know homosexuals you know back in the day um yeah. and so i think the a lot of christians are very hesitant very you know they want to be loving and 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 mm-hmm. you know you know treat that community with love and um i, I for me this issue i think we're, we're we're taking that approach with the trans issue and loving people right into irreversible. Like to me, there's an urgency yeah. with this issue oh, that, yeah. that maybe, you know, you can just pray for your, your loved one who, you know, is, is living in a homosexual lifestyle. But if, if you've got a loved one that is pursuing this, yeah. this sort of uh, these sort of procedures and, yeah. the, and has bought into this ideology, it's not the time for just like, meek let's smile and be nice and celebrate when they make you know advancements in this no no this is this is something that we have to step into yes it's a five alarm fire Mm -hmm. and it is it is what's so insidious about this is that and you see this to a certain degree with the other letters in the acronym but there is a deliberate 
attempt to hijack and weaponize the compassion that many Christians innately have for ill, ill-devised purposes. Mm-hmm. Oh, just try to understand. Like there's this, there's this emotional appeal and tender-hearted Christians fall for it. And you know, Josh, I don't know a single Christian who is a sincere follower of the Lord Jesus Christ who would not want to walk through a pastoral process with someone who's truly struggling and confused, whatever the issue, but especially with this. But as you say, it's the immediacy of the experimental medicalization that um, is just so dire because, like I said, you can get hormones, cross-sex hormones, within half an hour of a telehealth call with no psychological evaluation, no diagnosis, and you're drugged immediately. And when you screw up your hormones, there's... (laughs) I mean, you might be able to recover if you're not on them for very long, but you will start to see very physical changes and everybody, everybody responds to those drugs differently. So there's no, and then of course, if you cut off body parts, I mean, I know, I know people who within months of declaring themselves trans were were missing organs within Mm -hmm. months. And so there is an immediacy to it. Um, Do not let your compassion be weaponized against you and don't let that be used as a cudgel to abuse you from offering criticism or caution because these harms are irreversible and it's just so and, and you know what you know what's the irony of it all Josh is like you I'm very much a believer in historic christian sexual ethics and marriage I that's what we we stand on that at the christian post as well but I know gays and lesbians who are fighting harder mm. against this than a lot of pastors mm. <laughs> left wing mm. atheist openly gay and lesbian people are resisting transgenderism and there's often this kind of fight where oh well they 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 led to this they helped it's like okay we can definitely talk about the philosophical progression over the decades of what contributed and what gave rise to all these other things in the meantime it's a five alarm fire the whole house is on fire many children are inside so i would start talking to people grab a bucket of water and start hurling it because that's how dangerous it is yeah Okay, so let's say you're, um, you know, there's someone listening to this that this is the first time they're they're hearing this. This their eyes are open. They they want to get involved. What is, you know, what can churches, what can individual Christians do to really join this fight? Okay, the first thing I'm going to sound very much like a Pentecostal because I have that in my background, but I love my one of the scriptures that's been animating me so powerfully in these last couple of years, but especially in the last months, as I've been more of a public face on this and going out and speaking is 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God for the tearing down and destruction of strongholds. I very much believe that if you've got intercessors at your church, this needs to be something they are taking before the throne of God every single day. I very much believe that aside from all of the activism and all of the political activities you might engage in, all of the social outreach or whatever it is that you want to do with your talents and skills, this will be dismantled in the realm of the spirit if the church prays. This is diabolical wickedness. And so if you have prayer meetings at your church, go after this thing in prayer and intercession and pray one Psalm 139 over your kids every single day. Declare that they are fearfully and wonderfully made. God knew them even before they were born. Pray the word over your children. That's your first, you know, first responsibility, especially if you're a parent and you've got kids, they are being exposed to this. There are people out there who are trying to, I'm just going to say it, 
medically rape them. They are trying to cut their body parts off and rob them of their ability to have kids and horrifically damage their bodies. There are people that are that evil and that sadistic out there doing this. And a lot of people who are just have been ideologically swept up into believing that this is actually good, they are dreadfully deceived. And so pray your brains out that God supernaturally intervened because that's what it's going to take. So I say that first. The other thing that I think that is so important for people to do at the school level is, is, and I say school level because I honestly think that that's where this medical scandal and this scourge begins. Gender clinics wouldn't have a clientele were it not for the ideological indoctrination that's taking place in schools. And so I know that a lot of school board members, especially in liberal areas, are totally drunk on the LGBTQ LGBT emphasis on T, but the whole they're they're drunk on that Kool Aid, and mm -hmm. so it's like talking to a brick wall. Then, but I would still say as much as you can get this pseudoscience out of your kids' curriculum at school, that's a win because we have no business teaching children that human beings, through sexually dimorphic mammals, can change sex. It's an insane lie, but that's where it starts. That's the that's the groundwork that is laid. Um, where kids are then roped into these kinds of things. Don't let your kids go to any of these clubs, after-school clubs. There's a lot of those places. Gay Straight Alliance, they used to be called. Now they're called Gender and Sexuality Alliance. So much damage happens there. Even if your kids have friends there and they want to go and be a part of it, but not themselves, no. Keep them as far away. You wouldn't let them go to a drug den. Keep them away from GSAs. Um, get this stuff out of the schools, because that's that's really where it starts. And so. You'll have your work cut out for you if you do just that. There's plenty of other things that you might do if you if your area of interest is, you know, contesting uh, the medical aspect of this. And some people want to do lobby for legislation in certain states if you have in a red state. But though I think about every state that has passed a ban, and I'm not and I'm not here to endorse any kind of candidate or legislation as a journalist, just by the way. But if especially if they're Christians and they're watching this, and you feel like the Lord is pricking your spirit to get involved in some way, the best advice I can give is just seek his face and whatever you sense the Holy Spirit telling you, just walk in obedience to that and do it. Yeah. And I would Pray say... Pray over your kids. Protect no, your kids absolutely. at all costs. Yeah. I would say as, as individual Christians, I think we have um, been kind of um, conditioned into, in social settings, we kind of smile <laughs> and go along. And when these types of topics yep. come up, we just kind of like, you know, try and change the subject. And I think we've got to be start. brave. We've got to be, be brave. Bold. Yep. Boldness is what it's going to require. I mean, more, more supernatural courage than you've ever displayed because you think this won't happen to you. Well, that's what every parent tells me when they call me desperate. Yeah. No one had a grid for this. Yeah. Now, where do you see, um, you know, we've talked about the church. What about the conservative movement? Because uh, you know, it seems like there's there's kind of a trend within the conservative movement to embrace a lot of the the sexual ideology <clears throat> is, you know, I, I think uh, Fox News did a, a puff piece mm -hmm. on a, a transitioning uh, child oh, yeah. at one point. Yeah. Uh, where what, what is the state of the conservative movement with this? I wrote an angry column about that Fox News puff piece. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I as a journalist. I see all kinds of things on, and so I'm, 
very much conservative leaning myself and a small orthodox Christian unapologetically. So <clears throat> I think that if they are, if you are a small O orthodox evangelical Christian, philosophically conservative, but even if you're a socially conservative Democrat from the South, and those, those people exist, but you, you see these human person kind of sexual and gender issues as paramount, what, 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 wherever you fall, this is, in my estimation, the issue of the day, again, because of its implications for the gospel. I came of age as a college student during the state-level fights to uphold the definition of marriage is between a man and a woman. I was 20, I was, I remember being in college and I saw all of these states trying to, you know, keep marriage intact, legally speaking. And I realized then that whatever ended up happening on the legal front, that this was fundamentally spiritual. And that, that I, I saw people trying to make this kind of separation in their mind. Well, like this, well, let's just focus on the gospel as though you could section these issues off from the gospel, like talking about Jesus Christ dying for your sins. It's like, and it means something to be human. Like, like this, this kind of disconnect that I saw some people trying to make, even if they would say they would disagree with all of the alphabet soup of, you know, gender and sexual, sexual nomenclature and all that stuff. I saw this insidious separation. And to me, like, this absolutely is a gospel issue. I mean, I said it a moment ago, if you distort Genesis 127, you have distorted the entire biblical narrative. Marriage is the picture of Christ's covenantal love with the church. It, the Bible begins with a wedding in a garden. It concludes with marriage supper of the Lamb. Song of Solomon, erotic love is celebrated. Jesus begins his ministry at the wedding in Cana, performs his first miracle. It's the metaphor. It's the great interpreter to the whole capital S story. We get this wrong. We get the whole gospel wrong. And so if you believe what I just said, um, I think you need to bring those convictions to bear on who you vote for. And it doesn't matter if that kind of distortion is coming through the Republican Party, and it is increasing in, in some places, um, or the Democratic Party, which has basically kicked all their social conservatives out, except in the Deep South. Um, and God bless them, and maybe pockets in the Midwest. But the social conservatives are going to have to be determined. Um, to not budge because whatever happens politically, God doesn't mess around with this. Like you, you don't, <laughs> you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God if you're genuflecting before the spirit of the age on these things. This is a big deal. Um, and I'm not willing to, it, it really irritates me when I see people just sort of hiding behind niceness or, you know, they just think that they can separate these things out when, no, it's not because we wish to preside over a culture of shame, as has been done in some churches, and we got to own that, okay? But these things matter because our bodies matter to God. Um, our body, the human body itself, I believe, is a declaration of the gospel, and it conveys, its very physical, its very physical structure as male and female conveys a moral message that we are obligated to respect. And so if those of your, are your convictions, stand on them, don't budge, and let them inform how you think about the world and including who you vote for. Um, and don't be willing to call it out, even if it's from someone that you like politically who does something. And we can talk about surrogacy. That's just kinda, that seems to be the issue that a lot of conservatives are celebrating now that people are finally getting a clue how wrong this is. But we're starting to see those, those things. You mentioned the Fox News bit. Um, don't bow to the spirit of the age, whether it comes through the Republican Party or the Democratic Party. 
Yeah. I, I think it's that. harder to do with people that you generally are inclined to like because you might agree with them on other things. But these are these are things I know I won't compromise on. Yeah. Well, let's go there since since you brought up surrogacy and that has been um, in the news with, uh, I think, Guy Benson uh, announcing that yeah. they ordered a baby um, in his yep. uh, husband. But um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You see these as, as connected issues. Uh, can mm-hmm. you explain I that? I do. And let the record show whether it's Guy Benson and the other guy, his other husband. Or, or a heterosexual couple, I, I oppose all surrogacy, all of it, because it is the instrumentalization of the human body for a, for a morally illicit act. It's the procurement of a human being as though it is a commodity to be bought and sold. And it also, I mean, the Vatican is totally against it. And Protestant sexual ethics, they, I think some of them are starting, some ethicists are starting to get it and have, and agree with, agree with the Catholic Church on this. but. You know, it, it matters how human beings come into the world, you know, and there are all kinds of health issues that happen that are apart from any kind of theological point that could be made. A surrogate pregnancy starts as a high risk pregnancy, particularly if you are poaching the gametes from, say, the donor mothers, a couple different kinds of surrogacy. But if you hyperstimulate the ovaries of a <laughs> of a woman to extract her egg and then in- inseminate that with the sperm, and then you place that in another woman to incubate for for nine months. The surrogate mother recognizes that woman as not as the mother. I mean, the, the, it's going to attach, and the, the the mom is going to bond to that developing baby for nine months, and then gives birth, and that maternal child bond is just severed right then and there. <laughs> and there's a trauma that's created, and it's unlike adoption. People like to compare these things because adoption is trying to make good of a uh, of a sad situation and trying to give a child who needs a mom and a dad a home mm-hmm. whereas sur- surrogacy creates it from the get-go you intentionally create a wound a psychic I mean, it's just it's a terrible practice and then when you add the money factor <laughs> in it's you know we don't think is it's wrong to use a woman's body for sex prostitution well it's also wrong to use her body for procre- for, for for reproduction mm-hmm. And people bring up the this notion of consent. Well, if, if money's in the picture, is that real consent? But even if you do it altruistically and you just do it for free, it's still abusive to the body. Mm-hmm. A surrogate mother has no medical need to put herself at risk. And maybe she, she, she thinks she agrees to it because she just wants to do it. She has no idea what it's going to be like. I would very much commend to all of your listeners to check out the work of the Center for Bioethics and Culture. Uh, Jennifer Law is a friend of mine. She's a Lutheran bioethicist who's been doing tireless work in the trenches for years. As far as I'm concerned, she is the preeminent Christian expert on this topic. All of her work is brilliant. She's made several documentary films about it. Surrogacy is 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 an unethical practice that should never be supported by Christians. And I say it's connected to the transgender thing because some of the same drugs that they give to surrogate women are the same drugs they give to Lupron. They give it to trans in these trans procedures. And the surrogacy industry is also connected to the transgender beast because if children are going on these blockers and hormones, they are sometimes offered fertility preservation. They'll mm-hmm. freeze their gametes so that then later down the road, if they want to have kids, they will have to use a surrogate with their frozen gametes, even though, 
you know, that's that's such a racket too, because I think very, very few people have that's where like kids have had cancer and they've had to preserve their fertility to maybe use later. A minuscule number of births have resulted from that. So this idea that these kids who are foreclosing on their fertility and freezing their gametes so they can have a a surrogate child later on in life. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's like we're living in a sci-fi movie Yeah, and it's just, it's horrible. And that's not, it's not a, it's not an ethical practice either. Yeah. It's like Gattaca. Yeah. I yeah. Showed, showed yeah. that to my Literally. kids last year and yeah, it's just like, it's, it's abusive how much to the body. This, yeah. 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 And, and it's speaking to the, like the difference between surrogacy and adoption. Uh, Katie Faust, who is a, uh, a guest on my show last year, she says that, uh, adoption is adults sacrificing for the benefit of children. Right. And surrogacy is children sacrificing for the benefit of adults. And right. it's just completely different. But, um, well, Brandon, uh, I have appreciated this. This is uh, hopefully eye opening for some of my listeners. And uh, it can be, uh, I think, is right, rightfully so. Uh, this is a heavy episode, and I hope people kind of sit in it. Um, but so as to not leave people in a state of despair, uh, what are some things that are giving you hope right now? Well, I think that there are people waking up to just how bad it is. And I would commend to all of your viewers to familiarize themselves with the suffering of the families, because I think that is actually the key. People are talking about detransitioners and their testimonies, and they're so sad. But I think the family pain is really crucial at causing uh, the, uh, this long-awaited reckoning that I know many of us have been praying and crying out to God for for, for years. Uh, and to that end, I will very much commend to their, to their viewing an indie documentary film that I'm in called Dead Name. You can go on deadnamedocumentary.com, and I make a brief appearance in that documentary film. I've done a lot of press this year about it. We've done some screenings of it. It moves audiences. It makes them understand how this pits children against their parents and parents against their children. It is, it shows just how this smashes through family relationships and brings havoc and destruction and torment and chaos and misery in its wake. I, I won't give too much away, but one of the things I do say in my brief appearance in that movie is that it ruins everything it touches and you see how this destroys families. Mm. It's getting in touch with the family pain that I think is crucial to waking up. And I'm seeing more and more people really wake up to how severe this is. And so go see, go to deadnamedocumentary.com and give that a watch because that'll really underline all of the issues we've discussed today in a very poignant manner. And the filmmaker's not even a religious person. Like there are, I mean, they're in the the people, one of them, one of the parents profile is Catholic and the others are not, but this is affecting all kinds of families. And so what gives me hope as well is that despite the horror of all of this, and it is like staring into the abyss, Josh, it's some of the worst suffering you've ever seen. It is demonic. It's ghoulish. It's unbelievably terrible. I'm seeing God <laughs> even use the really evil things that are manifesting in this world and turning them around for good. And that, that really, that at the end of the day, you either believe I've been reading through Romans lately in my quiet time, Romans eight twenty eight. he really does work all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And he can even use the transgender scourge for his glory. And that's what, that's what continued to give me hope. Um, and 
So Christians, you really need to be there for your friends and your neighbors, because I think many of them, especially if they've been fractured by this, and there are thousands upon thousands of families like that across this country, I think you're in a position to really help some people. Yeah, it's it's and not a, a comfort. Yeah, it's not a people a, are looking for help. It's not a this issue or the gospel. It's let's no. bring the gospel to this issue. So yeah, yeah. absolutely infuse it with and, and just pray. If I can emphasize anything, it's just pray. I, I do believe, I'll, and I'll, I'll conclude on a hopeful note too. A couple of years ago, I was praying with some intercessors. It was actually about Thanksgiving 2021. And I sensed that, I'm going to sound like a Pentecostal again, but I sensed that still small voice of the Holy Spirit say to me that the wicked will soon be dethroned. Those who are doing this, these modern day Amorites, who are that their iniquity is about to reach its full measure if it hasn't already. Um, and so in the meantime, just keep your eyes on the Lord, keep praying, and be a part of the reckoning when it comes, because there's a lot of people who are going to need a lot of help to recover from what has done. There's probably going to be books and PhD theses written about this for years, what has been allowed to happen and erupt in our society because of a ruthless commitment to an insane dogma. But Christians, mm -hmm. you got to stand up. Yep. Well, thank you so much, Brandon. I appreciate the work you're doing on this. Uh, where, where can people find some of that work? ChristianPost.com, of course, you find print reporting. Um, I write some columns there. GenerationIndoctrination.com or wherever you get your podcasts on Spotify. Stay tuned for season three. It should be out in the next couple of, you know, late December and early January. That should be out. We've got a rock star cast. Uh, my other colleagues at Christian Post do great reporting as well. The gender, Exposing the Gender Lie ebook is also on ChristianPost.com. And as I mentioned, please go to deadnamedocumentary.com and check that film out because that'll really drive it home. Excellent. Thank you so much, Brandon. Thank you, Josh. That's our show for today. Big thanks to Brandon Showalter for joining me for this conversation. I'll have links in the show notes where you can find more of his work. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Ratings and reviews over at Apple Podcasts are always appreciated. And if you're watching on YouTube, be sure and hit like and subscribe so you don't miss future content. I'll be back soon. And until then, I will talk to you soon.